I'm Sarah Trott, and welcome to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm a new mama, and this podcast is all about postpartum care for the first few months following birth, the time period also known as the fourth trimester. My postpartum doula, Esther Gallagher, is my co-host. She's a mother, grandmother, perinatal educator, birth and postpartum care provider. Fourth trimester care, our topic, is about the practical, emotional, and social support parents and baby require. And importantly, it helps set the tone for the continuing journey of parenting. This is Sarah Trott. Welcome back to the Fourth Trimester Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Esther Gallagher, and we have a special guest with us today. And I want to remind you that we have a website, which is fourthtrimesterpodcast.com, and you can go there and visit and sign up for our newsletter. Also, we have an opportunity to sponsor us through patreon.com. So if you've listened to our show a couple of times and you feel compelled to do so, please do sign up for a dollar an episode. Now, I'm going to hand the mic over to Esther, who's going to introduce our guest today. Hi, everybody. Glad to be back. Uh, We have Evelyn Miller Freeberry with us today, and she has a wonderful, extensive professional and personal bio, which we're going to get into Uh, in a moment, but I would like to interview her from the point of view of me working as a doula. I met Evelyn many years ago when I had clients who needed breastfeeding support. And because they were Kaiser patients, we would take moms over to Kaiser and they would be seen by lactation counselors that were actually at the hospital, in the hospital setting And I quickly got to know professionally and very deeply appreciate Evelyn, her presence with my clients, her loving kindness and her ability to just put my clients in a deep ease and really address the issues they were having was quite impressive to me, especially considering from my standpoint that um, it was particularly onerous on a new mother to have to get in a car and go back, go leave the house and go somewhere to receive care. Uh, as you know, listening to the podcast, I have an extreme bias <laughs> about that. <laughs> I think we should all come to mom if she needs our help. But given that Evelyn was always very, very quickly connected with parents and helping them be at ease. And I've so appreciated her for that for all these years. Um, But she has uh, moved on professionally from there. And so I'm going to ask you, Evelyn, to bring us up to date the work that you're now doing, I only recently heard of, I'm sure you've been doing it for quite some time, but a colleague mentioned your name in a meeting recently and described your work in a really delightful little way. And I just couldn't wait to um, reconnect with you once I heard uh, Elizabeth's description. So I'm not going to bungle it. I'm going to let you describe for us the work that you do, and then we'll talk about how it pertains to the fourth trimester. Oh, well, thank you so much, Esther. <laughs> it's um, it's really an honor that you two have asked me to do this. But um, my history is um, 
um, a love of movement and movement and being a human being, how essential and important uh, our movement is as our way of connecting with our our world and our environment and the people in it. I um, have a parallel history with my nursing maternal maternal child uh, training and profession. I was in my early life a dancer and a martial artist. And that I had to give up for, that's a, a whole story about personal injuries and healing. And um, as I worked in the world of, of maternal child care and breastfeeding, I began to realize that my parallel interest in how human beings organize themselves and develop movement was completely a part of this early experience of uh, a mother and baby establishing this wonderful and really baseline relationship, a relationship that was is going to influence the whole way an individual feels about themselves and the way they relate to their caregiver and how they use their whole body and self in their environment. And of course, I um, daily, as a um, live, working in a busy hospital in San Francisco, had the experience of many parents being unable to breastfeed in the way they had hoped and wished, and many parents also being very successful, but encountering other kinds of uh, obstacles, perhaps unexpected, perhaps family relationships, perhaps emotional uh, emotional responses to the change situation in life, but mostly the um, the more basic deep frustration and disappointment of either being unable to breastfeed or finding great, great difficulty, possibly pain in doing so, or having to make very serious compromises with the whole situation. And um, I think your listeners are probably familiar with with many of these uh, potential scenarios so I became more and more interested in the larger context of what the baby and mother are experiencing in this give and take dance of learning to feed. And if there are difficulties, what uh, underlying activities and interactions could either mitigate that. Well, of course, I was always, always looking for outcomes that were more successful, more easeful, more um, effective for both mother and baby. But um, if, you know, given that perfection was not always possible, how could the interaction between the parent and child be um, really fostered and then very 
very importantly for the baby, the orientation of the baby's self, finding the ability to go to the source of comfort and support and nourishment, and the ability to let go of that and release it when it's satisfied, the ability to be effective in that, and um, that how what other kinds of interactions would support this and do support it. And if it's all um, difficult or missed, what kinds of parenting behaviors help the baby with their own body orientation and development of their own autonomy in the in the face of um, an imperfect situation mm-hmm. and um, and of course there's many many ways that things cannot be be less than perfect for parents and um, sometimes it's uh, very unexpected and it's not that the, the breastfeeding isn't effective perhaps the baby's gaining well but has other kinds of distress or difficulty or the parent has other kinds of distress or difficulty so anyway i've just said quite a lot all at once without pausing so that was great well um you know i i just Mm -hmm. i thought of uh, i had this image that many people are anybody who's been to college and had to take general ed classes (laughs) um I, i might remember but uh, it comes out of uh, early psychological stuff. And I was remembering the little baby rhesus monkey mm-hmm. <laughs> and how, you know, a, a rhesus monkey baby will cling to the soft fake mother, even though she doesn't give milk <laughs> when, when given this terrible false choice of mm-hmm. a mother that gives milk, but is hard and cold and uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> made of wire <laughs> versus snuggly, you know, able to be clung to and warmed and, and up against and all of that. And uh, I don't know, that's mm-hmm. probably a little bit out of left field, but it it's just a reminder that, you know, um, our babies do, they're seeking something um, uh, that's, you know, includes nourishment but goes so far beyond that. Mm-hmm. Right, well, I'm, I'm. It's good that you take it, take us in this direction because I think what I said previously was um, uh, tends to the side of um, what can we do about this? You know, solutions, and um, as um, as we were discussing earlier, the what underlies any kind of intervention or solution is uh, actually the well-being of the the dyad, the well-being of the the the, and the well-being doesn't mean meeting a score or reaching a certain level of um, checking off all the boxes. It means being safe and. Um, in love mm. <laughs> and sometimes that's not um, and that, that can be also a great a great pain for some mothers that they 
don't find that comes easily, and that's exactly what they need support and help with to mm-hmm. feel to trust themselves so that the the possibility of really being with their baby in whatever kind of feeding and difficulty that they're in is with um, wonder and great wonder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Minds us to stay curious, even when it feels pretty rough. Um, I'll say uh, that... There, there was a moment in my early postpartum recovery period um, where because my baby, uh, who was a perfectly fine breastfeeder, but who in that moment wouldn't breastfeed, wouldn't latch, um, I, I remember thinking um, after, you know, being in the struggle <laughs> for some amount of time and probably due to a certain amount of sleep deprivation, I remember thinking, my baby hates me, (laughs) which makes me laugh now. (laughs) But at the time I was devastated, you know, just this thought crossing my mind that, oh, she won't, she won't take what I have to offer (laughs) there, you know, that I attributed it to, that you know that there's not love here there's somehow there's not love here but of course I was looking you know for something in her (laughs) in that moment it was very interesting I think and um it's uh, it's so important that any of us who you know presume to offer help to new mothers um remember this (laughs) remember remember these um experiences because yes you laugh now but you know you know it was real in that moment and that's um such a a a big theme that is part of a mother's life once you become a mother this deep taking hold and then from the very beginning being able to put the baby down when it's needed Mm -hmm. and when it's right and this um evolves Deep, deep, deeper and deeper connection and then more and more work as the child grows to um, foster autonomy (laughs) and create um, individuation. And um, yes, and of course, all through our lives, you know, we see ourselves reflected in our children's (laughs) behavior, um, no matter how mature we feel we've become. (laughs) It's, uh, yeah. Esther, (laughs) something you said about feeling like your baby hated you. (laughs) Do you know Janet Lansbury? She has this book called No Bad Kids. One of the themes that comes through, and it's relevant, you know, in the book they talk about for all ages, really, is this idea of not taking things personally, because often what our baby or our toddler or indeed a teenager does is not personal to us. It's developmental. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with us and everything to do with them. And part of our job as parents is to be calm and consistent and absorb um, whatever kind of emotion or situation our, our children are throwing at us, but not to take on the same feelings that they're having. So if they're feeling angry or upset, then we can create a calm um, environment for that to happen and allow those emotions to happen and 
we work very hard, I think, as parents to connect with our children's feelings because and a feeling is an expression of self. So making sure that we help validate, yes, your feelings are okay. It doesn't mean we have to have those feelings ourselves or rise to it. <laughs> I think that's certainly a challenge for a lot of parents. And I'm, I just found that interesting when you, it, it came to mind when you said, oh, my baby, my baby isn't doing what I expected. Therefore, it's like something about you, you know, <laughs> and it just, it isn't. Well, the, the feeding thing is primal that when they reject your breast, there's something you, I mean, it does take some work. <laughs> Pretty desperate situation. To separate internally from this this instinctive response. But um, I think what you just said, Sarah, is so much a continuum with the experience in the in infancy that the baby is got is crying, is upset, is inconsolable, uh, whatever it is that um, you're feeling it in your deepest heartstrings and yet you have you still have to maintain that you are yourself and this is this other human that you're totally responsible for and that you are doing the very best you can but you can't take on the their um and have in yourself their pain because you need to care for them and I think there's this dynamic that you describe for toddlers and teenagers, and might I say young adults, <laughs> being the parent of young adults, <laughs> is um is already beginning here in this this uh very early stage where I totally respond to the crying of my baby and yet I don't take it on as um an internal process. Mm. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I, I'm hearing um, that this is our very, uh, this is a very primal situation and a most wonderful opportunity to move beyond empathy, which is a wonderful thing to have, and develop the skills of compassion, right? That we mm. we don't get locked into the feeling um, which may foster reactivity, but we cultivate um, that place in us that allows for ourselves and others to be who we are <laughs> moment by moment um, without judgment, without reactivity. This is something we, we touched on briefly before we began recording that um, um there was, a, I don't know if it's still said in the doula community that um, we give birth the way we are. And um, so you can learn a lot, but your own, your, the way you manage yourself is something very deep. Um, the way you express yourself, the way we express ourselves. And I, um, the way each woman responds to and moves through this early postpartum period is very individual to her her truest self and it's in fact a burden for her if she tries to be good you know tries to be do all the all the right things it's i think a very modern uh, 
malady almost. Younger women know so much and feel burdened by all the things they should do to prepare and to be ready, when the most helpful thing to do is to be, and this is easy to say and a great huge thing, study is to to be with yourself as in the most um, full and satisfying and accepting way that that one is able to, that one knows how, so that the activities that are going to help you and your baby are being well and being well in uh, emotionally and psychologically. And you, that's not a, an expectation that you can just uh, just meet so you're always we're always looking for what um what supports us and if and if we're not that's what we're what doulas are in the business of trying to offer people is and then um and if anyone who's interested in preparing is obviously looking for for what what helps them the most so for a baby the most helpful things for early movement experiences are all of the things which most people are familiar with for both childbirth and breastfeeding, which are that the baby is as as drug-free as possible, for instance. And again, that's not um, at all everybody's option, but that that's uh, that the baby has as much contact with the parents, the mother, the other parent, whoever that is, immediately after birth and as much as possible. And if that's not possible, that any other loving person is as close to the baby as can be. Or if that's not possible, that the attention, the attention of the parents is uh, toward that, toward the the well-being of this new new person, and that once the baby is with you, that the well-being of the mother is absolutely fundamental to the well-being of the child, so that all of the um, attempts at feeding and consoling are in relationship to also providing nurturing and well-being for the mother, that these are activities that are interdependent, go together. And sometimes that does involve separating the mother and baby and the other parent taking on some care of the baby. Mostly it involves the baby being with the birth mother, if that's possible, or the alternate mother. After birth, if a mother finds herself going towards conflict in the realm of feeding, to find support, to find other ways to feed and support the child that don't feel to her that she's in conflict. It's it's very surprising sometimes, as you guys know, right after birth, there are sometimes for a mother... Uh, very profound reactions of needing to separate from the baby, you know, the baby that has come out of your body physically, and to be um, supported through that 
can be I mean, just to know that can happen that you need the your spouse or your other significant other to support you as you recover and as you're able to open yourself to this really heart-opening, literally heart-opening experience of uh, taking in your new child. It, it makes it all sound very difficult, and actually, it's, <laughs> it's luckily, it's often very spontaneous and um, just comes, comes, is given. <laughs> well, but I, you know, because I work as a birth tool and I attend births often and because I have a modicum of experience in the immediate postpartum period, um, and and we have had our own immediate postpartum periods, the three of us, I think that what's sometimes a little bit uh, difficult for parents to be, to, to understand or hook up with, because they don't have any secondhand experience of birth, right? They're not seeing births as they grow up. They're not experiencing what it looks like, you know, intuiting what it feels like for parents because they don't witness birth or the immediate postpartum very often. But because I do (laughs) frequently, one of the things I can give as an example of, I think what you're touching on, Evelyn, is that, you know, not every mom who's just released a baby into the world for whatever reason, and often because of the the drama, or and so, and sometimes, frankly, trauma of giving birth, not every mom is ready to then have, you know, a newborn in her arms because she's experiencing something very large that may not actually make room somatically or psychologically or even physically for. a a needy newborn in her arms. Now, most of the time we tend to think it's very healing and appropriate and, and right in those moments to, to have the baby, that it would be, it would be experienced as a loss if, or a grief if the baby isn't present. But frankly, you know, speaking as a witness, that's not always true either. So um, being present for what actually is, and allowing for a mother to have um, her needs being met <laughs> uh, in the, in those moments, as well as the baby um, being met, I think is very, very important. And I think a reflection in our society of not being able to meet mothers where they are is that if a mother's experience, experiencing and expressing difficulty the answer so often is going to be something like, but your baby's healthy and you're, you know, you and your baby are healthy. And isn't that the most important thing? As if that's the only thing, right? So I think, Evelyn, this work that you do and this, what you acknowledge about being a, a new parent um, and the, and that it it's unique to parents and babies uh, as experienced is really wonderful. And um, maybe you can circle around, give us a little bit of um, your personal experience of the immediate postpartum, and then maybe talk more concretely in any way that you would like to about how this work 
manifests when you're doing this work, say with mothers and infants. Yes. <laughs> That's a lot, I know. <laughs> yeah, because actually, in, 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 um, in fact, I'm mostly working with babies who are, um, out of these, this fourth trimester. Mm-hmm. This, the babies, that most babies who come to see me are, come to see me because the mothers are, well, in some cases, just very interested, but usually because someone has said, huh, you need some help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's something not quite coming together for you and your baby, or you notice your baby's doing, always turning its head to one side, or it has, head is a funny shape, or mm-hmm. a whole range of things, or, or, um, people, people are referred to me because they don't breastfeed in spite of many, many good, uh, interventions. Mm-hmm. But back to my own experience, um, was, really long ago so i had to when i was forewarned that this would be a question <laughs> it was quite a wonderful a meditation almost for me uh, because the strongest and deepest memory i have is giving birth to my first child and of course i was just like so many women i did think i was going to die I remember that, actually. I remember being quite convinced I was about to die. And um, and actually, I also remember this, what I said earlier, that we, I think we do give birth the way we are. I did not accept hard, hardly any help at all, mm-hmm. and very little support. And that was my MO, my style very, very uh, independent. My baby's dad was there with me, keeping quiet. And uh, then I gave birth. And the one thing that is still with me is looking down at this child on my chest and directly feeling that he had arrived from from heaven. Mm -hmm. That he, this, this is the wonder of this. And um, I can't say I go through my daily life remembering this, but if the, it's there, it's not, you don't have to scratch too far. And this <laughs> memory has uh, actually been a great support and help because this child, who is a wonderful, amazing young man, um, did did have a, does have a hemiplegia, he, um, which was a big, big force for me in what I chose to do in my life's work, that, mm-hmm. that he had difficulties, that I began to actively seek how to um, understand what my role was to, to help him. And, um, and he has begun really, actually, he became my teacher by the time he was about seven, and show me what needed to be done. Mm-hmm. But anyway, so that was my, um, I'd say those are the two things about my early experience that really stand out for me is that um, my determination to do it myself, my own way, without any help, um, very stubborn, but just the reality of what I was really colored how I 
how I proceeded. And um, when I remember that, it's very helpful for um, approaching and helping other women in, in appreciating that um, I, I know I didn't have any, I knew I was supposed to get help, but I didn't. So it's not something that at that time in my life I had very much control over. So um, what is needed there is is a, is a lot of compassion for just what each what what each of us the way we are mm. the way each of us is so great detail and i really I resonate it. with it <laughs> i both both mm-hmm. aspects both the kind mm-hmm. of i mean the way i mm-hmm. spoke about my postpartum mm-hmm. to myself mm-hmm. was uh for instance mm-hmm. uh uh in part because i wasn't breastfed and the story of not being breastfed mm-hmm. and my brother's not being breastfed was such that i had a very strong reaction to from an early age, (laughs) Um, you know, I was gonna, I could do this, and I was going to do it come hell or high water. And also that feeling of that, that deeply spiritual, for lack of another word, um, recognition of this, this newborn is from another place, you know, a very, very special enigmatic place uh, uh, was also uh, an experience that really was something unexpected to connect with, you know, Uh, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful, wonderful thing, both times, both kids Uh, (laughs) and grandson and, you know, uh, babies in general. I mean, that is sort of the wonder of babies. And I I happen to have um, Robin Lim, who people might know about because of her work uh, as a midwife in Bali. She she said, you know, people line up (laughs) throughout the village uh, to greet the newborn and to say goodbye to the old people because the the idea, the Buddhist orientation there is that, you know, you're, you're in the presence of somebody who's recently come from the other side or who is about to pass back into the other side. And that that is a very special place to be and in the presence of. And so I appreciate that. (laughs) Well, I'm suddenly realizing I still haven't responded to Sarah's question to be practical here. <laughs> and um, I, and, and it's just really come to me, Sarah, what, um, what I would suggest. <laughs> Perfect. Which is, which mm-hmm. is um, rhythm. Mm-hmm. The rhythm for, you know, because it's fine to say, yes, mother, you need to take care of yourself. And we don't really, it's, it's a, sort of an unknown for most of us how to really do that best. But what is we what is a healthy support for all of us, the family and the baby, is developing and nurturing a respect for life rhythm because it's not in our culture that uh, sleep, movement, nourishment, begin to start having a a rhythm to them. And that's really respecting the 
need for um, sleep, and this is in in the situation of not getting much sleep, mm-hmm. so that the um, telephone, the devices, the television, all of that, it really has to to have a different relationship with, to a new family if there's going to be um, help with finding a natural the natural resource of of rest and recuperation. Rest and recuperation for a newborn are not found through stimulation. And it's rather hard for, uh, I think, for us as modern people, especially now that we hear every day, oh, a newborn child, a first year of life, needs lots and lots of stimulation. Mm. And in fact... um, what they need is a lot of rest. <laughs> this also it's more and more understood that we're all sleep deprived. So I would really think about um, stimulation as um, a food that you have good quality in measured amounts, and that what your baby needs is not stimulation but engagement, and then rest. And then one of the first things you're learning as a parent is recognizing the rhythm of that for your baby, recognizing just as you also need uh, engagement and then disengagement in your in our lives. So the baby needs some very, very strong need for a baby to engage and then um, recuperate and integrate. So I'd say that's, and again, that maybe is is not totally practical, but it's a um, really uh, an advice I would give. And that very early on, um, parents are given oh very interesting toys to present to their babies, and noisemakers, and things to develop their vision and recorded sounds to stimulate their brain that are really not in step necessarily or in integrated with how the baby's nervous system is unfolding. And of course, it's going to be very individual with each baby how um, much, how much interaction is really what they seek how much needs to be brought to them, how much they need to be helped to be quietly exploring on their own, how much they'll do that spontaneously. Um, It's quite common now for young mothers to really be interfering with their baby's natural exploration because they feel obliged to provide more complex or... um, varied stimulation. So for a a new mother, a new parent to really observe, become observers of how their baby's opening up to the world and to follow that rather than lead with more and more interesting stimulation. Especially, I feel very strongly about the voice the first kind of touch is 
not the first kind, but very, very important kind of touch is uh, the vibration of our voice and how that connects us emotionally, connects our own self-regulation, our own emotion into a shared experience with our baby that no wonderful recorded music can ever come close to. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, so that's that's a few thoughts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Since we're nearing the end of our session, would you be willing to spend a little bit of our last few minutes here taking our listeners through a guided exercise? Yes. So, um, and Sarah and Esther, you could do this with me. That would be very helpful. I have my hand on my leg, on my thigh, and it can be wherever is comfortable. And the very first thing to do is to notice if I am comfortable, if I, if my back is supported, or if I'm sitting well on my seat, if my back is not supported, so I feel the ground supporting me. So I have an opportunity to feel that my breath can come into my whole body in whatever way and to whatever extent that's something one is familiar with, that the breath actually is reaching all the way down into my hand, my fingers, and indeed my leg. But that's, sometimes takes a little time. But I'm going to start noticing that my hand is resting on cloth, unless you happen to not have any clothes on, but my hand is resting on cloth, and I feel the quality of that, the texture of my clothing. And if I continue to soften my hand and let it sink, not by pressing, but just settling, start to feel the contour of my leg. Perhaps I feel the flesh, the skin, fat, bones. If I continue to settle with my attention, it's really a letting my attention sink down into the limb, my limb. I may begin to receive an impression of the bone, perhaps of the whole limb. And if my leg is resting on a firm surface, can give a little more energy into my hand, a little more weight, until I can feel the firm surface that my limb is pressing into. So, and then just let that release back up to the surface. So I'm actually joining with my touch. I'm joining in not just doing something to my limb. I'm connecting through my capacity of receiving, receiving information, joining with the reality of my leg on the surface. 
And then I can notice that my leg, this may take you a moment, my leg feels my hand that through my the skin to the, the alive tissues, I can feel my hand and may have to just help yourself if this feels very unusual, just noting the shape of your hand, the geometry of the hand, the five points of the hand. And let the sensation of the leg then, as if the leg is starting to press into your hand, come up into your hand. And then you can send your attention back down through your hand, down into your leg. Let it come back up to the surface where you feel the surface of your hand surface of your leg as two separate containers. And you can take your hand away from your leg or not. So this is a very simple way of uh, something that we do very naturally when we hold a baby and we gather the baby up in love towards in our chest and that if we can remember when we're distressed or not having that sense of well-being that enables that to happen spontaneously and we can practice this and then we I something I work with when Babies are having difficulty separating from their mother's bodies, for instance. But first we establish, always establish the relationship with the mother's body. That's the first bonding. And then the baby's relationship with gravity and themselves. So this little exercise we just did is both for touching a baby and for helping myself, a mother, to um, feel really safe and confident um, with their baby, or the or the dad. It's also or the grandmother. But anyway, it's so um, that's a very very um, first line suggestion, Sarah. I liked I liked that I I immediately thought about how much of the um the baby's experience we can um maybe not the baby's experience but but what's happening with a baby their digestion and their muscles and their you know everything that's so small, it's right up against us. And and we can kind of take that in, in a way, if we're quiet enough, and present enough to really intuit, rather than um, I think, I think the tendency with a baby who's in distress, for instance, is to attribute it to something like gas, 
Yeah, right. well, it's, it's, which it could it, it could be common, that babies yes. are gassy uh, and they are mm, having distress mm. but but i think um being able to slow that reactivity down and think okay baby has gas and i have to do something rather than oh i can be with this baby and present for this process that they are experiencing you know um uh, that too, that mm-hmm. will pass. That you know, this is a transitional state, as are most states. As are as are most states. <laughs> Though actually, there's wonderful things through touch to do for gas too. Right? So. Yeah, which would be, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a, a strong proponent of early intervention, and early intervention not being getting tests and diagnoses, but if you see something that you're not don't feel is right for your baby, getting help yourself to address it in a way that feels right to you. Mm-hmm. It's all mm-hmm. right to follow your intuitions on these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Evelyn, we've learned so much from you today in this conversation. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being a guest on our program. Well, thank you so much for asking me. This has been a very <laughs> quite a moving conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I'm so pleased that um, you were able to join us. Like I say, I've known about you a long time, and I've always had such a friendly feeling <laughs> towards you. So getting to have this special time with you today is... I, I am myself um, giving uh, individual sessions for, for parents and babies and giving classes for parents of young babies and the class is called touch and movement your baby's first language and these classes are very much based on a method that comes from the feldenkrais method it's called child space and i have several colleagues in the uh, bay area we've just have a new website child space bay area about our work and I'm also um, very much influenced by body-mind centering, and I work very much in that modality. Also, the work of Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, as well as osteopathic work that I've learned from individual osteopaths. People can look online at both of uh, both of the websites for those two things. Body-mind centering uh, has worldwide practitioners. And Child Space has worldwide practitioners. My email address is emillerfreebury. It's all one word. Freebury is spelled F-R-E-E-B-U-R-Y at gmail.com. My website is www.evelynmillerfreebury. And the my colleagues and I have a new website called Child apostrophe space child space bay area okay well wonderful we're going to sign off thanks again for a wonderful conversation evelyn thank you so much sarah 
You can subscribe to this podcast in order to hear more from us. Thank you for listening, everyone, and I hope you'll join us next time on the fourth trimester. The theme music on this podcast was created by Sean Trott. Hear more at soundcloud.com slash Sean Trott. Special thanks to my true loves, my husband Ben, daughter Penelope, and baby girl Evelyn. Don't forget to share the fourth trimester podcast with any new and expecting parents. I'm Sarah Trott. Goodbye for now. Bicycle man, I know you're doing all that you can. I wrote the song, simple and true. I wrote the song, I'll sing a song for you. You got your wheels, you got your gears. You ride around town without any fear You got your pedals, you got your brakes You always wear your helmet for safety's sake